I've established myself as this like mental giant. I can do these really hard, long challenges. In fact, it's my gift. I've been given the gift to suffer. And for years I was like, this is the worst gift anybody's ever been given from God. It is so damn freeing to show up on your life and, and live your life without a care about what anybody else thinks. Now that doesn't mean I'm like, don't care about people and don't care about things, but like, stop caring so much what anybody else's opinion is of you. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast, the show that helps swimmers and triathletes love the water, become a better swimmer, and live a better life. Here's your host, Brenton Ford. I'm incredibly excited about today's episode. Firstly, because while I was recording this and having the conversation with our guest, I left incredibly inspired, motivated, and just driven to do more and do better. And we have none other than the Iron Cowboy himself, James Lawrence, on today's episode. You might know James from his 50-50-50. Back in 2015, James decided to set out and attempt 50 Ironmans in 50 days in the 50 states in the US. And that involved all of the, the travel, the logistics, as well as doing those events, which on average took about 14 hours every day. And then trying to work in the the nutrition, the recovery, the travel, everything in between, he managed to break a world record doing those 50 Ironman events back then. I remember watching that and thinking, this guy is absolutely nuts. I don't know how he's getting through this. And then he obviously was successful with it. Then in 2021, James decided to step it up. He wanted to prove that it wasn't just a fluke and that some of the criticism that he copped in 2015, he wanted to prove that he could legitimately do this and just prove all of the doubt is wrong. So he decided to set a challenge to do 100 Ironman events in 100 consecutive days. And he not only did that, but he did one extra. He went 101 consecutive Ironman events in 101 days, which smashed the world his own world record. And I can't really see this being broken. Now, on today's episode, I talked to James a bit about those two events, but also what motivates him how does he push through those hard times and just coming away from this conversation he's an incredibly generous giving person and someone who just wants the best for people and it's something that i really took away from this conversation was that sometimes we limit ourselves and we don't set challenging enough goals we don't push ourselves and we are capable of much, much more. So this is an episode I'm gonna listen back to on multiple occasions, just because of the way that I, I left after this podcast, I thought, wow, this I can do a lot more than what I'm currently doing. So let's get into the episode. Hope you enjoy this one. I know I certainly did while I was recording it. Here is our episode with the Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence. Welcome to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. My guest today is someone who I planted the seed on recording a podcast with several years ago, and we finally managed to organize it. It's the one and only Iron Cowboy, James Lawrence. James, welcome to the podcast, mate. Yeah, thanks, Brendan. That's totally my fault. It was funny. I was going through <laughs> some like, old messages on Facebook, and you and I had been going back and forth and trying to arrange it. And literally, we'd set it up. You're like, I'll call you in an hour. And then something happened and three years later i reached out and i was like hey man you ready to you ready to do that podcast and <laughs> one week later we're here and so i think i think over time we've just become more efficient <laughs> yeah yeah exactly right and look over that time you've achieved just a little bit so we've got even more to talk about than we would have a couple of years back so sure. i'm looking forward to, to getting into it so um, cool. just to, to start things off in a probably more light-hearted manner is there any memorable or funny uh, moments during any of your endurance challenges that you remember or that stand out to you? 
Oh man! In terms of uh, the swimming, in terms of swimming side of things as well, which I want to get to. Oh, swimming! I was in a. Re- this wasn't memorable. It was actually my my worst moment ever swimming. I, I, I I've been doing endurance racing for twenty years, and we'll we'll dive into a little bit of my career and what happened. But I've established myself as this like mental giant. I can do these really hard, long challenges. In fact, it's my it's my gift. I've been given the gift to suffer. And for years, I was like, this is the worst gift anybody's ever been given from God. But but I, I recognize that our our team's willing to suffer intentionally gives hope to other people that, that are dealing with stuff that they didn't ask for. So my career's had really high peaks where I do these massively big projects, and then it just like wrecks me. And then I, I recover, and I come back, and I do it again. And the last one, there was a big gap between when I did it. The, a huge event in 2015 and then 2021 I did it again and that was the biggest challenge I've ever done in my career it's called the conquer 100 and I know we're going to talk about that but then it it, it really it destroyed me physically but more importantly it wrecked me mentally and I, I crashed violently on day 59 had multiple concussions over my career but my brain actually got stuck in hyperdrive fight or flight and I couldn't get back to parasympathetic. And so it took me over two years to recover from this. And when I came out of it, I thought I was ready to get back to racing and I was just going to use my past experience to and my mental toughness to get me through some of these races. And I got invited to go do the world championships in Sweden for the swim run, which is a race called Otillo. And it's actually pronounced Utulu, which stands for Island Island. And it's a, it's a race where you swim in your shoes and you run in your wetsuit and you run across the island, jump in the water, swim to the next island and repeat that process. And so it's a 40, it ends up being 40 miles of running and, and six miles, 10 K of swimming. And I was, I've been swimming my entire, not my entire life, but for 15, 20 years. And I've, I'm proficient. I'm not great, but I'm proficient. And I was just really relying on my experience and I've never DNF'd a race in my life. And because I, I prepare really hard, I'm super mentally tough, I'm physically uh, dominant, and it's a partner race too. So it was me and uh, Carly, who was my, my partner mm-hmm. in this race, tethered together in the swim. And the gun goes off of this race, it's about a 400 meter run, and then you jump into the first swim, which is about a little over 1,000 meters or 1,200 meters of swimming, and it was dead into a current, and it was pretty choppy waves. Well, I started to get sick and started to throw up in the water, and then started to have a panic attack. And I've never experienced this before. And so I was just like really going through my mental practices and calming myself down. I kept looking around and I'm like, holy shit, we're dead last. Like we're the last people in this, because it's the world championships, right? And I was just like, (laughs) I was taking for granted like preparation and all this, just total rookie mistakes 20 years into my career. And we get out of the water, we, we clear a couple more sections, run across a few islands, do a couple more swim sets. And we get to the point and there's a guy standing there like this. And he's like, sorry, guys, you didn't make the cutoff. <laughs> and I was like, what? I was like, what? I was just so, de- so embarrassed and then just completely devastated that I let my partner down. Cause I've, I'm telling you 20 yeah. years of racing, I've never done that. And so that was one of the worst experiences that I've had in the water. And I'm going to share one more really quick. 2012, it was the, it was our second world record. I was doing the most Ironmans in a year that anybody had ever done all official races. We did 30 Ironmans through 11 countries and it was the year the St. George Ironman, it, they had microburst winds come in. 
and it was it was part of the world record and one of the races it was one of the races that's in my home state and my wife was preparing to do it while we had five little kids and I was out on the road trying to break this world record and so she we show up at the race and the conditions were perfect like it was a great start and the gun goes off and everybody takes off and it was this chaotic like swim and I loved I love that I hate that they've gone away from the mass start but I loved it and my, I'm just swimming there with my wife and we're just cruising and she's not a great swimmer and so I'm like just you watch me sight off of me. I'll let, I'll nail the line and we'll get there. And all of a sudden the, the, the water starts to get choppy and movement. And I can hear a, a, a like a, a speedboat. And I'm like, why the hell is that boat so close to us and turning the water upside down? And all of a sudden I peek up and it is pandemonium around us. Like a microburst storm system came in and turned this reservoir upside down. And all of a sudden we've got six, eight, 10 foot waves around us. And you like one of the, the course was you had to swim around this Island. And I'm like, okay, I can see the, island. I can see people getting on boats and abandoning the course. And, and one of the, one of the boats came up to us and he's like, Hey guys, the swim's canceled. And I'm like, bullshit, it's canceled. I have to swim 2.4 miles and for this to count. And so I look at my wife and I'm like, are you okay? She's like, I'm great. I'll just keep swimming. And I'm like, okay, I'll be right here with you. Side off me. And so she is swimming as hard as she can. And I figured out, like, I'm just going to dolphin dive underneath these big waves and I can be more efficient. Well, it gets to the point where I look at my watch and I'm like, oh, shit, the cutoff's 220. And I'm not going to make it if I stay with my wife. And so I'm like, sweetheart, are you okay? I got to go. And she's like, yeah, 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 fine. Go, 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 go. Make the cutoff. (laughs) And so I turn myself inside out and I try to make the swim cutoff. Well, an Ironman swim cutoff is about, uh, is 220. And my, my, my normal swim times about one Oh five, not great, but I'm like not out of the conversation yet. I got, I got out of the water an hour 51 and I'm just standing on the shore waiting for my, my bride to come out of the water. I'm like, come on, make it, make it, make it. And all of a sudden I see her and she's coming and she pops out of the water at two hours and 21 minutes and, oh. and, and missed it cut off. And so it kind of, it was kind of a heartbreaking. So those are my two worst swim moments I've, I've ever had. And I, I got, I got, I got a few more because, but, but we'll, we'll move on from, from that. But that, that was a long answer to a simple question. No, man, I love it. it. The amount of, the amount of swims you've done in, in the endurance events that you've done, like it, I can only imagine what has, what has gone wrong and maybe what's gone right at some point as well. In terms of the, the, 50, 50, 50, or the Conquer 100. What lessons did you learn just in terms of getting through the swim to stop chafe, to make sure that you, you know, went the right pace? What were some of those things that stood out to you after going through that day in, day out? Yeah, it was interesting that the 50 and the 100 were so different in terms of logistics and preparation and where my, where my body was, where my mind was. There was about five years difference between the 50 Ironmans, 50 days, 50 states excuse me, and then the Conquer 100, which we did in one remote location. And every single day we were in a new state, new environment. Uh, Some of them were open water, some of them were pool. Well, on day number five in uh, Santa Cruz, California, I tore my shoulder on the swim. And, and I, I was a wrestler and I had some shoulder problems and just like, just the volume of leading up to that race, because I put in a ton of preparation. And so the, the 50 just became pain management because it hurt so bad. In fact, I did two days in a row, day six and day seven, where I swam it with just one arm. And and I was figuring out how to adjust to the limitations that I was having. And then I quickly realized in terms of pain, 
pain reaches a certain th certain threshold and then it just doesn't get any worse. And if you can learn to manage that level of pain, you'll be okay. And so I just, I reintroduced the other arm back into the swim technique and it was the most painful, you know, hour, 10, hour, 15 of my day in terms of like pain management, but it really, really helped me develop that mental toughness and, and recognizing, okay, I get to choose how I navigate this, this pain. And then it was interesting. I had the complete opposite experience in uh, during the hundred where we were doing a hundred consecutive 2.4 mile swims. It was all in a pool. We started in March. It was every weather system we could have imagined went through this amazing footage in the documentary that's coming out next month of just like this cool snowstorm happening. And there's tons of athletes in the pool, just this really cool contrast. But the 50 was, was, was pain and torture. And, and I hated the swim part. The hundred became, it was my comfort. And it was the, the, the time of the day during that, that, that 140 miles where I knew the exact conditions. The water temperature was the same. I had my own, I had my lane. I, and it was a moment where I could actually just like exhale and relax. I was totally safe. I, I knew we actually structured the swim in the 100 very differently because we, because of the shoulder problems I've had in the past, we knew it had to be very controlled. And so we, and people started to go, they, they, we went live every single day, but some people didn't have time to watch that obviously. And they were like, man, you are a metronome in the water. Like your swim times are almost to the second every single day. How are you doing that? <laughs> and what we were doing is we were doing hundred meter repeats. And so we would do a uh, hundred meter repeats, 4,200, I mean, yeah, 42 times. And we did it on the two minute. And so if I came in at 150, I had 10 seconds break. And so, you know, your first 40, what is it? 4,400 yards. Yeah. So your first 43 were the exact same time. And only time difference I had every single day was how fast I did that last hundred. Uh, <laughs> But, but it was, but it was the, the reason it was so different because I, I wanted to really be in control. I didn't want to have a shoulder blowout again. Mm. And, and the water became my safe haven. It, it became where I had those conversations about how yesterday went, how's today going to go? How am I feeling? Do I need to walk myself through mentally, like through every single body part and like give my ankle encouragement or talk to my knee or, you know, I would, I would really process every single day. And so I really enjoyed the swim part of the Conquer 100 because I felt very safe and controlled in the water. Hmm. And in the 50, did you feel like you were going to do irreparable damage to the shoulder or you just knew what the issue was and you thought, I, I can get through it and I'll be able to fix it later? Yeah, the, my mindset at the time was, I, I know this is only a seven-week challenge. And I know whatever damage you do in seven weeks, science is amazing and there's surgeons and I'll just fix whatever the problem was. And I actually never ended up getting it fixed. And it's totally my fault because I get, I accomplished the one thing, my perception changes as to what's possible. And, and then I always move on to what's next. And then I go right into training phase and then execution phase. And, but there was a big gap between the 50 and the hundred. And you're like, well, why didn't you fix it then? And I just, I just love racing so much. And it's so hard to take time off to fix it because then the mind goes, well, I'm going to lose, lose fitness and I'm going to lose momentum and I'm going to lose all these things when I probably, that was, would have been the perfect time to get it fixed um, in the recovery phase. Um, and now, you know, I'm getting close to 50. 
And I have a couple big challenges coming up over the next couple of years. And I, I did, I promised my wife that after, after these, these next couple of big races and challenges that I'll, I'll get it fixed. Mm-hmm. But, but it's just, I've just learned that I can manage, I can manage that level of pain and it's probably hurting my performance to some degree, but you, it's rare that you win an Ironman or these endurance events in the water. You can lose it in the water, but you just have to be good enough to stay in touch. You know what I mean? Mm, yeah, absolutely. One of my favorite books is Atomic Habits by James Clear. And one of the things that I love about that book, the things that he, he talks about is have, having identity-based habits. So you see yourself as a certain person or a certain way, and that makes you do the certain things that are going to be required of you to, to be that person. And for you, it's the mentally, physically tough person. When did you start to identify as that's me? I'm someone who was born to, to suffer. Is that something that you were, as a kid, you, you realized or did it take a while to, to work that out? Yeah, I, I didn't realize it in the moments, but now looking back on it, I can isolate some very specific times when that became my identity. I, I grew up in, you know, I have three sisters, no brothers. Both my parents are zero interest in athletics. And so I found my outlet through team sports in, in school. And I played every single sport. Whatever season it was, I was playing that. And and then as I got into high school, I really started to gravitate towards wrestling. And if you want to win at a high level, you have to specialize. And so I quit all sports except for wrestling. And that was really when I started to develop some some grit and some mental toughness and and kind of be defined as that person. And I don't know if you've ever heard me or heard the story of when I sat on a Ferris wheel at a carnival for 10 days. So, so I grew up in Calgary, Canada, and Calgary's world famous for what's called the Calgary Stampede. And it's one of the largest rodeo stops in the world. And it is, it's 10 days long and the city shuts down and it's a huge party and it's, it's food, it's ride, it's check wagon races, it's concerts. And they do, they set up this giant fair and, and there was a radio show contest and they said, we want to find out who can ride the giant Ferris wheel for the entire 10 days of the stampede and the winner gets 10 grand. And I was like, man, that seems easy. I'm like, I grew up a wrestler, I'm mentally tough. I can do that. And I got on the damn ride. And, and I was, I was shocked when I saw people like quitting and getting off the ride. And, and I, I didn't piece it together then, but now after having a lot of knowledge, experience and maturity happen in my life, I, I recognize that they were simply losing the conversation they were having with themselves. And, they weren't comfortable sitting there with their thoughts. And to mm-hmm. me, that's, that's true mental toughness is being able to just sit there, stew in your thoughts, forgive yourself for your past dream and imagine what the future can look like, or just sit there in the present. And these people just couldn't do it. And long story short, I ended up sitting on the Ferris wheel for 10 days and I, and I won the contest and that's how I came down to the United States. Cause I had one friend here and I got fired from my job on the ride. And, and so I had some time and some money <laughs> And I, and I came down to visit visit my friend in the states, and I never never went home. But I think that looking back, though, you know, really digging into being a wrestler and being a, and getting that identity, and then I really start recognize that I had control over my mind when I sat on the Ferris wheel for ten days, and mm-hmm. it completely changed the direction of my life. And so there, there was those kind of key moments, and then my entire career has been building upon that mental toughness, and it's now what I'm what I'm most recognized for is is that mental ability Mm. is there different stages in a process that you go through when you're sitting on a ferris wheel for 10 days or when you're going through a 
the, the 50 or the 100? Like, is it, you know, like they've got the five stages of grief. Is there a similar sort of thing when it comes to just being okay with your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And and I think that's one of the biggest problems with the distractions of social media. It, it's just drawing all of our attention. And it's funny, I saw a hilarious thing online the other day where someone was like, mindfulness. We, we're now in a society and a time where we have to intentionally seek out and be mindfulness, meaning like inside of our own thoughts and, and mm. contemplating and meditation. And you think, like, I don't know how you old are, uh, how old you are, but I'm turning 48. And the, the, the person doing the video is about the same age. And they were like, back in our day, that was like going to the bathroom. Like you were, <laughs> you were mindfulness. It was like walking outside. It was like, I had to get from point A to point B. Like there wasn't anything to really distract us. And so we were mindfulness all the time. And the word didn't even exist back then is because normal life and society by as a byproduct of it, you, you had to become mindfulness. There was so many opportunities and moments where you're just like sitting by yourself in your thoughts, being mindful of, of who you are, what you're doing, dreaming. Like I talk about this from stage, like as a society, we have forgotten how to dream because we're so busy fixated on what other people are doing and and we're experiencing life through them that like we don't we've 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 stopped dreaming and, and that that's paralyzing society right now because we're so involved and connected through through these devices that, that we're no longer dreaming we're no longer being mindfulness to the point where there's now ways and opportunities for us to intentionally become mindfulness like that's so crazy mm. to me yeah, it makes me think of um, Jesse. It's like he uh, he's got this big ass calendar. I don't know if you've seen that. That I thing. love Jesse. Yeah, we're good friends. Yeah, so he so I ended up buying a yeah, big 2024 calendar, and I he talks on, about I have doing, it on the wall. There you go. So it's like and, and just that alone. All right, to think 12 months in advance. What are the what are the big challenges? What are the big things I want to do? And let's put those on the calendar. Let's just take that time, and then you can fill life in around that. Like that alone for me was just like, it's like clearing the whiteboard. It's like, all right, we can actually just sit here and be much more intentional with the things that, that I want to do for the year. It's, but you're right. It's just so easy to get caught into this, into this trap of having the phone there. And then we just don't go and live our own lives or, or make plans or have big dreams and think about the next couple of challenges. So is there. Well, real, real quick. In fact, it's why um, I, I think swimming is so powerful for the mind. Be because you 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 can't really bring technology into the water with you. Now we're starting to see more of these finally headphones that work in the water and stuff, but they're a little bit gimmicky from time to time. And sometimes they work and it's muffled sound. And so like, I've just been like, forget it. I'm just going to swim. Mm. But swimming is really an opportunity for us to be mindful and just in our thoughts. And I think that's one of the reasons why swimming is very challenging for people too, because it's like, wait a second, I have to disconnect in order to do this activity, right? And so it's very mm -hmm. challenging because you, you literally have to be in your own thoughts in the water. Like you almost don't have an, a, another choice. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And it's that's why, why I think I feel so good coming out of the water, coming out from a like from a surf. It's like if I get a, a good hour in the in the pool, maybe two or three hours in the surf, it's like I just feel like that, like my day is much more more complete. And then I can get everything else done a whole lot easier when that's the case. It's, it's just, that's the beauty of the sport. It is that, that physical meditation and something that uh, I'm sure you're, you're very good at just doing the, the things that you've done. 
how do you get that outside of, I mean, you train a lot, right? Like, you, is that how you kind of get that, get that fix and just you, you're training day in, day out? Or is there, because I'm, I'm thinking of like Alexander Volkanovsky, like I, I love UFC, I love watching that. And I remember hearing him when he said, I don't have a, when I didn't have a fight on the cards, when I didn't have something to work towards, he got in his own head too much and became a bit depressed and hit a real low and he needed something to work towards. Is there, do you find you have a similar sort of thing when you, you just need to have the next thing ahead of you to train towards? Yeah, and it's not even the next thing to train towards. It's just being intentional about doing the training or some type of activity. I'm telling you, distraction and physical activity and getting outdoors is, I'm going to get canceled for this, but it's the cure to depression. It, it, it straight up is. Like, you spiral in depression the more you sit at home in isolation, in darkness. And seriously, when you distract yourself, when you do physical activity, when you get outside, it clears your mind. In fact, the other night, I, I just kind of had a rough day. I had a lot on my plate. and my I'm just doing a ton. And I love it. And it's my own fault. But I just had less like – the biggest thing is we're switching a lot of our marketing – the way that we're doing, we're, we're, we're onboarding with a new team. We're offboarding from another, offloading from another one. A lot going on, a lot of stresses, a lot of different directions we're going. And I just like, I was at the end of my day and I was just like feeling that anxious, like, I like, like short of breath almost. And mm -hmm. I just looked at my wife, Sonny, and I said, I, I got to go for a run. And she's like, it's, it's like nine 30 at night. You've already worked out today. I'm like, <laughs> I got to get outside. Like, I'm, I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Or if I, if, if I do, it's, it's not going to be quality. And I, I, it was just one hour, one hour. And I, I didn't run fast. I just, no headphones, just got outside, could hear the pounding on my feet, could hear my breath and was just in my thoughts. And mm. when I came home, guess what? I, I had zero anxiety. I had processed a, a bunch of the things that, that was, that I was worrying about. And all I did was get outside and move. And it was incredible to shift. I, I love the saying that emotion creates emotion, or I'll even say mm -hmm. motion shifts emotions. And so when you're feeling something, the worst thing to do is to sit still with no distractions, because that, that's just an opportunity for us to hyper-focus on the problem at hand, which now mm -hmm. magnifies, because in life, what, what we choose to focus on magnifies. And so if you're focusing on the problems, the, the anxiety, the depression, guess what gets worse? The problems, the anxiety, the depression. So get outside, move your bodies, jump in some water, swim, do all these things, unplug, and poof, it all clears up. Mm. It's, it makes such a difference, doesn't it? And once, you, once you're out the door, a lot of those problems seem to, seem to go away. I, I know you've been running, well, you've run two retreats so far uh, that you get people in. And they, and you basically like mindset weekends. Talk to me about what's the inspiration behind those. And then what are some of the takeaways that you've had from running those two retreats? Yeah. Incredible experience, both for us coaches and attendees. I, I didn't realize how life-changing it was going to be um, for us and them. And, and we have about 25 people at each one of our retreats. So it's a little bit more intimate. And, you know, we, we were talking offline how I've been professionally speaking for 10 years now. I've spoken in over 50 countries around the world. It's, it's just been incredible. Like I never thought that this is what I would be doing. And I mean, there's a whole lesson in that too, just like just living life and all of a sudden your passion will present itself to you and you end mm -hmm. up doing something that's so purposeful, which is these retreats for us now. But every time I got off stage, people were like, wow, 
how do I become more mentally tough? And I'm like, oh, it's super easy. Just show up in your life and and have experiences and you, you'll gain that knowledge. And you just, here's this, here's the secret. Intentionally do hard things and your mind will expand and you'll become more mentally, more mentally tough. It's like one plus one is two. That's like super easy. And they were like, oh, okay, great. And then they would write me back and they're like, I, I can't do it on my own. I, I just keep quitting on myself. And so I'm like, okay, people can't conjure up their own experiences to become more mentally tough. I'll put one on. I'll invite people to go through an experience with me. And so we did the first one and every single attendee, every single one, man, that was, that was incredible. That was life-changing. I could have never done that on my own. And I was like, whoa, maybe we're onto something. Let's do it again. And we did it again. Every single attendee, man, that was incredible. That was life-changing. And, and as as coaches, we were learning. We, it was just so incredible. And so now we've got some more on the calendar. We've got one in May in San Diego, California, and I'm just like super pumped. We're actually bringing in Mike Riley, the voice of Iron Man. Yeah, he's gonna, nice. he, he, he lives right there. He's going to come speak. And I haven't asked him yet, and he, I, he might listen to this, might not. But I'm friends with Uriah Faber, MMA fighter. Yeah. And he lives, he, he, he lives in California. And so I'm going to, I'm going to invite him to come out because part of every one of our iron grid experiences is we do some type of combat. And so in the first one, we did boxing in the second one, we did Muay Thai fighting. And man, if I, I've said this before on podcasts, but if I had like a magic wand and I could make a universal law for everybody, it would be that every, every single person has to do two years of mixed martial arts combat training. Uh, be, because to me, it in, it instills confidence, it in, it instills discipline, uh, respect, uh, body control, um, strength, agility. Like there's so many things that that come from that. And in fact, in fact, my son, he's 14, and, and from 14 to 16, every week he has to do uh, mixed martial arts. And so we have a coach that comes to our house. She's she's a she's a badass fighter. Her name is her name's Tandy. She, she, had a, she had a great career. She, she kind of pioneered the female division. She was actually scheduled to fight Ronda Rousey and then got injured and then got injured and then it never happened. And she was forced into retirement. So she's, she's a badass for sure. And so the, these Iron Grid experiences have just been, just been a gift for us as coaches and the attendees. We learn a ton uh, because all walks of life show up to these things. Like we, that's one thing we can't control is who shows up and who registers. And every single time we've had like from 22 to 65 show up and and a good split between men and women of all walks of life and we've just i've just really learned that people don't want to do life by themselves and mm. and they're losing the conversations that they're having with themselves and they're getting in their own way and so once you once you put community in place and then challenge people inside that community all of a sudden we start to see people leveling leveling up in, in a big way. And so it's just been a lot of fun. And uh, I see it, I see it as being a big part of our uh, business model and, and the direction we're going because man, what a, what a better way to impact people's lives is, is through connection and activity and experiences. Before we dive into the rest of today's podcast episode, this episode is proudly brought to you by Form Smart Swim Goggles. They've been a long time sponsor of the podcast and they are my go-to goggles when it comes to tracking my training sessions and being able to see what's happening in real time through the goggles. And we know swimming is a highly technical sport, but without the guidance of a coach on deck, identifying and addressing technique flaws can be a challenge. They've recently added a new feature to the goggles, head coach. And this addresses that problem head on. It gives swimmers improved access to their technique awareness, focus skill development, and in-app education and analysis. Head Coach provides real-time visual coaching, 
via the Form Smart Swim Goggles augmented reality display. During and after a swim, Head Coach provides swimmers with technique feedback using two types of metrics, Form Score and Head Coach Skills. Form score is a measurement of overall swim efficiency ranging from 0 to 100, defined by your pace and your stroke length. Head coach skills encompasses five key areas that will help you identify where to focus on improving with your efficiency. Head roll, head pitch, set pacing, interval pacing, and breathing time to neutral. And after completing a session, you can check back in on the form app to track your progress. And Head Coach provides swimmers from beginner to expert with an unprecedented level of data-driven guidance and understanding, enabling you to boost your performance and your speed. Get your pair of Form Smart Swim Goggles today. Click the link in our podcast description or use the code EFFORTLESS on checkout to get 15% off your Form Smart Swim Goggles. Absolutely. And even more so these days with social media and AI, all those sorts of things. It's like people are craving for something in mm. real life, something with other people. And we run four or four or five camps, uh, overseas camps that are swimming based. And it's like every single time, it's like you, you need those 20 people to come together to go through this challenging five days or seven days. And then they come out of it the other side, a, a different person, they've made new friends, they've suffered together with other people. And that gives you such a, a bigger connection than anything else you can do with someone. It's that suffering together and, and going through those shared experiences that allow you to, to, to make new friends like very quickly. And I think when people do that kind of thing, they often tend to know more about the other people a lot more than they would with some of their, their own friends back home because they're just they're not isolated together, but they're just spending really sort of quality time together where they're not distracted by work or phone or family. It's just... Yeah, you get in that kind of environment and you can have some really special things happen. And it, I went to Blink-182 last week. They're here in, here in Melbourne. Unreal. And I was just thinking like, yeah, if you, when you've got 20,000 people singing together, all there for one purpose, it, it, like it creates something special. And we've got Taylor Swift here as well. 100,000 people at the <laughs> MCG. I didn't get tickets. I was trying to get tickets. But uh, like I just see the videos that some friends are posting. It's like that, yeah. that is something special when you get people together all for the same cause. Yeah, it's this immersive experience that you can't duplicate. And it was interesting. The first retreat that we did, it was in Kanab, Utah, which is fairly remote. And it's just like red rock, beautiful type scenery. But the cell service was crap. And so mm -hmm. nobody was on their phones. And then we started this like message board group with all the attendees afterwards. And the connection and the communication and the, the follow-ups and everything, like in three days, this group of 20 plus people was just like so connected and so bonded. And it, it's, it's created these like lifetime friendships already. It's just mm -hmm. been so fun for, and, and really fulfilling to, to, to facilitate these and put it together. I, I, I had no idea that I was going to benefit so much just like emotionally and, and, and spiritually and just all of it from, from putting on these, like selfishly, I'm like, how do I, how do I do these every single month? Like, it just like benefits me so much to watch the, the, the community aspect of it happen. I've just, I've just, just really been drawn to it. That's awesome. Uh, I want to read a, a quote. I'm sure you've heard, but it's by, by Jim Rohn. When I was thinking about the podcast, you know, I'm, I'm planning the podcast and I'm, I'm thinking about the questions. And then this, this quote just popped into my mind because I've heard it a lot. And it's Jim Rohn's quote of, uh, don't wish it were easier, wish you were better. Don't wish for less problems, wish for more skills. Don't wish for less challenge, wish for more wisdom. How does that relate? How do you, what, what do you think about when, when you hear that quote and, and how that relates to what you've gone through over the last decade? 
Yeah, I was actually on Jim Rhodes' podcast a couple of years ago. I really enjoyed my time with him. But but I love that quote too. And in fact, I say from stage all the time, like life's not going to get easier. You just get better. And and it's because we were having this experience during the 50 where every single day was chaos and confusion. And and I also say the quote that like, uh, pers- uh, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the quote. Persistence and resilience only come from having been given a chance to work through difficult problems. And, and if you're dealing with things in your life right now that are, that are like making you pause and think and problem solve, like that's one of the greatest gifts because as you get better, again, through experiences that you have to have, as you get better, you become more knowledgeable and can handle more things. And, mm-hmm. and it, it, in life, you need to do things that challenge you every single day so that when something happens in normal life, that's a challenge or difficult to most, you're like, oh, this is easy. I can navigate this. In fact, real quick story. I was on a, I was on a TV show called The World's Toughest Race. And it was a Mark Burnett production. Bear Grylls was the host. It was on it's on Amazon Prime. It's 10 episodes. Mapping compass through the back back part of Fiji. Like we were doing activities like a, a, a thousand foot ascend up a waterfall and a jungle trekking with machetes. And and we, there was five major camps. And every time we'd come into a camp, we're teams of four. And every time we'd come into camp, like we were laughing and smiling. And they were like, why are you guys having such a good time? This is the hardest thing you've ever done. And they kept wanting me to say on camera, like, this is the hardest race on the planet. But the reality was, is me and the wingman had done a 50-day challenge. And this was an eight-day challenge. And so for us, we were like, oh, we, have to, we just have to do something hard for eight days. Where all the other teams were like suffering and complaining and sitting in their misery. And is this ever going to end? And all these other things. And we were just like, man, this is a blast. Like, we were having such a good time because our our, our baseline for what was hard was so dramatically different from everybody else that was racing. And, mm. and, and again, that's the challenge to put out there to, to the audience today is like, do really hard things so that when hard life happens, it's like, Oh, this is no big deal. I, I, what I did last weekend with my bros was way harder than this. Right. Cause, cause look at, I mean, I mean, Brenton, look at, look at the, look at the pandemic. Like w- when the pandemic happened, everyone was so riddled with fear and chaos and confusion and, and the unknown. And I guarantee you, every single every single one of you can look around at your peers and your friends and your coworkers and go, man, they're a pile of mush on the ground. And this person is thriving. What's the difference? The circumstance is the same. It's how they're handling it. It's how they're navigating it. It's the experiences they've had in the past to deal with their current reality. Right. Mm-hmm. So I love that quote by Jim Rome. And it, it truly it, it truly resonates with me because you, you have to do those things intentional so that everybody else is difficult becomes normal and simplistic to you. Mm. I was thinking about this the other week when you know, I think of my I've got two young boys, they're five and seven. And mm-hmm. in terms of, you know, like upbringing, I didn't have it like a super hard yeah, upbringing. My parents were, were amazing and all of that. And but like physically, it was very tough because we were swimming eight, nine times a week. And so if I want them to have that kind of grit and determination, you know, they, they've got a, a good upbringing as well. So I've, I've got to challenge, they've got to be challenged physically. We've got to give it to them in, in, that, in that kind of way. So, and, I, and that's something that you can voluntarily choose to do. You have to choose some kind of suffering uh, or else it's going, to, it's going to be chosen for you. And that, that physical one, yeah, nothing, nothing better than that. I love that you said it's going to be chosen for you because I, I'm a massive advocate of this. And, and I believe if we continually choose discomfort, 
we're going to have options our entire life, meaning we can be comfortable or discomfort. If we only choose the path of least resistance and comfort now, eventually our only option will be discomfort because all luxuries of life and we we will not have become strong enough physically or mentally because we're so complacent and lazy and and seeking that path of least resistance you're gonna wake up one day and your only option will be discomfort and the problem is is you're not going to be ready to handle that discomfort and you're going to have a really hard time navigating life Mm. i remember hearing you talk about the motivation for the for the fifty was very different than the than the hundred. Mm-hmm. That and in, in, for the fifty, I think I remember hearing you say it was about like you have to do this in order to be able to take that next step with your with your career and like to do it for your family and like it was a very different drive and motivator. Can you talk to me a bit about about that and then how it shifted for the hundred? Yeah, you know it, it, when you're doing something that is like really big or when the public is like ruthlessly telling you it's impossible. Right. Because that's that's what happened with both these projects. First and foremost, we tied a charitable component to it, something kind of bigger than who we are, because that, that's always a good reason to kind of get up when, when things get tough. And so the first one we did childhood obesity and we, we, it's a terrible statistic that I share is we're the first generation ever where the parents are slated to outlive the kids. And at the time of the 50, my kids were ages five to 12. I have five children. And I was in the, the school system a ton and in the elementary schools and the epidemic of, of obesity was just in your face. And so I was like, okay, we're going to do something to raise money and awareness for this. And then in 08, we, I owned a mortgage company and things were going great. And then the economic crash happened and we lost everything. And we, we had to kind of hit the reset button and start to rebuild. And that's when I kind of really got big into racing. I was dominating the local um, space. I started doing some coaching and then I was like, okay, how can I separate myself from other people in the coaching space? I need, I need some, cause I wasn't the fastest, right? So I needed kind of a, a gimmick. And so I'm like, well, I'll, I'll just break some world records. That'll be a great gimmick. <laughs> and, <laughs> and went, went down that route to separate myself from others. But during the 50, because we'd lost everything, I was like, my life has potential to be different if I complete this, if I don't quit on myself, if I, and if I can stack enough reasons why to get through this, then it'll, then my life could be different. And I, and I wasn't wrong. It, it completely changed after we completed that task because it opened 10 different doors that I was able to walk through and, and create the, the, the multi-million dollar brand that we have now. And then the hundred was very different too. Now I have four teenage girls and a teenage son and in our face is sex trafficking. And the reality of that with four beautiful daughters. And so then we were like, okay, what can we do to double what everybody said was impossible to go defy logic? Let's do a hundred. Let's go to 14,000 consecutive miles with no days off. And let's go do it to raise money to eradicate sex trafficking. And over that campaign, we raised over a million dollars, which has gone on to free so many lives of, of that were living a, tr- a tragic existence. And for me personally, the reason of the why changed because I was financially stable now and well-documented, something we've never run for, never hid from. We made some mistakes during the 50. We were doing something that nobody else had ever done. It's in the book. It's in the documentary. It's on every friggin' thread in the triathlon world and blogs and success magazine and runners were, I mean, you name it, we, they talked about it. And so part of the hundred became very personal for me and I wanted to reset my own history. 
I, w- I wanted to prove that I am who I said I was and my team is who they said they, they, they are. And so we executed to perfection through 50 days and then just took that momentum and, and doubled it. And so it was a very personal journey for me on the second one. But in both journeys, you, you, have, to, you have to tie an emotional component to whatever you're doing or when it gets real. And you're backed into a corner and it's dark and, and depression and anxiety setting in and you feel alone and you're starting to really lose the conversations you're having with yourself and that doubt creeps in and indecision and the imposter syndrome. And maybe they are, you know, you, you start having all these conversations that bully in your head gets really loud and obnoxious and lo- and then are you going to choose to win that conversation or not? And so the, the hunter became very personal, the back half of it to, to, to just really cement who we are as a team and, and showcase what's possible. And I am so friggin' excited for this new documentary to come out um, next. I don't know when this is going to drop, but March 27th is the the premiere showing here in Utah at Sundance. And then it'll hit all the streaming platforms. It'll go up on our social media. And then shortly <laughs> thereafter, our new book, Iron Hope will come out because that's truly what our purpose and passion is now is to give people hope on the journey that they're on. In fact, my favorite book I mean, you told me yours, but my favorite book, and, and James Clear, Atomic Habits is in my list, but my favorite book is Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. And it's a story about a guy who was a, a psychologist who was in the Nazi concentration camps, and he happened to be one of the rare survivors. And his whole premise of that book is about hope. And he could tell the moment that somebody lost hope because they died. And if that's true, then hope is life. And that's really what we're trying to help people do now is, is give them hope on their journey. Because as I've traveled around the world, I've just recognized that there's not a lot of hope. People are, are just like walking around wondering why, why they're here, what their purpose is, do, do they have worth? All these conversations are having to themselves. And so mm. our family's mission has now become to, to help people, like I said, win those conversations and give them hope on the journey and, and help them understand that they are enough and and just keep showing up and and ultimately that's how you win is by keep showing up mm. yeah to uh, I, i've spoke about this on the last couple of podcasts but I, I love the thought of finite games versus infinite games where like the infinite games are ones that you can't win so as long as you don't quit as long as you just keep at it you're going to you're going to to win that game like there's there's no end point but it's something that you've just got to you got to keep doing and uh, it sounds like I'll just share a real quick story about that concept back to that race in Fiji. There was 67 countries participating in this race. And because the race was in Fiji, the the host country, kind of like the Olympics, they were given a spot into the race. Now, this Fijian team had the worst equipment. They had no training. They, they had zero experience. And nobody gave these Fijians a chance of clearing the course because it was super challenging, right? And I'll be damned, they were the last team, but they cleared the course and they beat every single team that quit. And (laughs) they understood without understanding it, that if you just keep chipping away at a task and you don't quit, eventually you're going to get there. And in Mm -hmm. life, sometimes it's not in the time frame that we want it to, but that just means we haven't learned the lessons we need to learn along the way fast enough. And the same crap's going to keep happening to us until we learn those lessons. But these dang Fijians, man, I'm telling you, the worst bikes on the planet, zero coaching, no terrible equipment, no money, biggest smile on their faces and just like kept chipping away at the tasks. And I'll be dang to beat every single team that quit. It, I was, it was so cool to be there at the finish line when they, when they finally crossed and we were there to welcome them, welcome them home. 
Ah, how good's that? Is there any other any other standout lessons that you've had over the last decade or so that you wish you could pass on to your kids or pass on to anyone who comes to see you speak or who watched the documentary? What what are some of those other key lessons that have yeah come, I'll, you know, I'll, come your way? I'll I'll give you two more, and and um, one of them is you know it, the, people think the hardest thing to do is 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 the thing, and so they never start. And and they just keep building up the enormity of it. And Alex Ramosi has a great quote that fear is is a mile wide but an inch deep. Mm-hmm. And if people would recognize that they could walk and navigate on their feet through this fear, but it takes showing up and taking action. And once you get started, you recognize, oh man, that wasn't as bad as I thought. Like like Brandon, have you ever had a task or something that you're totally dreading doing, and then you keep putting it off, and it keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and then you finally. I have the guts to do that task. And you're like, damn it. That was six minutes. And it's been, <laughs> plaguing, it's been plaguing me for two weeks. You know what I mean? And, and that's, that's so the case with everything. We, mm-hmm. we build it up so big in our heads and it becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. So challenge number one, just start. Like if you've got an idea, intuition, intuition's a whole huge thing. Like just start the other gift. The other gift that I've given my kids is to not give a shit about what anybody thinks. <laughs> and, and anybody that's navigating life right now and like, trust me, this is going to sound harsh. Nobody cares. Everybody's mm-hmm. so self-absorbed with what they're doing, how they look and my, all this other nonsense, like nobody cares. In fact, a great book that if you want to put it on your list is The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F by Mark Manson. Phenomenal read. I, I, would, I would put it up there in my top five, just because that concept is so powerful and and in fact, society is being paralyzed by fear right now, fear of judgment about what other people are thinking, and it's stopping you. It's derailing you and freezing you in your tracks. The greatest gift you can give anybody and especially yourself is to not care what anybody else thinks. It is so damn freeing to show up in your life and and live your life without a care about what anybody else thinks. Now that doesn't mean about like, don't care about people and don't care about things, but like stop caring so much what anybody else's opinion is of you. And like, if you, if you're good, dude, and if what, if whatever it is, man, if Pokemon's your thing, hell yeah, nail it. Like <laughs> just be the best dang Pokemon player you can be. I don't even care what your passion is anymore. Like just go do it. I'm not going to make any, I'm not gonna make fun of anybody for like showing up and just doing whatever makes them happy. And that's the key is stop listening to people. And if whatever you're doing makes you happy to just keep doing it, man, because that's the purpose of this life is to be happy and to find joy. And if that's what makes you happy, great. Do it all day, every day, and just don't care what anybody else thinks. I love it. I, I feel like when I be becoming a dad, like in my 20s, I became a dad when I was 20, how old was I? 28, I think. But prior to that, I, I cared a lot more about what people thought. And yes, you're making your way, you know, like I was building effortless swimming. I was working my way up as a coach and that sort of thing. Like you, you kind of feel like you need to prove something to, to people. But then as you get a little bit older, maybe get some wins on the board. And, and for me, it's like I realize what's really important in my life and it's my kids. I don't care about what other people think. Mm-hmm. And it's, it is just such a different way of living. And I can see like as when I was a teenager, now you might look at your your parents and stuff and go like, oh, they do some embarrassing things, and I can't believe like my friends think what what, what they might think if you know, if they see this. But I can see now, you know, being a dad, it's just like I'm going to embarrass the hell out of my kids because I just don't care what their mates are going to think. And uh, I find it's a, just lot a, it's of, a 
I, I find a lot of joy in embarrassing my kids now. My kids are now 14 <laughs> to 21. Actually, my oldest daughter just got married. We're just in such a cool space of life right now. But I'm turning 48 this year. And, and every year as I get older, like my my not give an F meter just keeps going up and up. And <laughs> up. So, I, I mean, it probably can't get higher than it is right now, but maybe it can. But I, I just think it's a gift <laughs> to people to not care what anybody thinks. Do Absolutely. you, man. Just show up on life and do you. Like, if it makes you happy, do it. As long as, here's the caveat out of the asterisks beside that. You got to show up with honesty and integrity. If, you, if, you, if, you, if you're showing up with honesty and integrity and you're not hurting anybody else, then do, do whatever you want to do. Like, but, but if it's like impacting someone in a, in a negative way, that's where I'm like, mm, we need to reevaluate this. But, but, but mm. don't, don't care. Don't care what anybody thinks, but keep showing up with honesty and integrity. Mm. James, this has been uh, fantastic. I've really enjoyed this, this conversation with you. Three years in the making, and we <laughs> finally made it happen. In terms of you've got a lot of stuff coming out and uh, a lot happening, Obviously, where can people find find you and just let us know what, what you've got coming up? Yeah, please follow us on Instagram, Iron Cowboy James. That's where we post all of our races we're doing, all the retreats that we put on, the masterminds that we have, the new documentary that's coming out about the Conquer 100. I promise you, it'll be a treat. You're going to want to watch it. And then our new book called Iron Hope coming out in January 2025. So it's going to be a lot of incredible things coming out and uh, it'll help fulfill our mission of giving people hope. And then our website is just ironcowboy.com and it links to everything there. So thank you for having us on the show and allowing me to share a little bit of my journey with your audience. You're, you're phenomenal at what you do. Like if I could, if I could just like, like hone in and just like absorb some of your swimming prowess, it would be amazing. <laughs> I appreciate it uh, very much. And I mean, I, I remember watching your, your 50 journey and just going, this guy's crazy. I don't know how he's doing it, getting up every morning. So it's, it's really cool to see this, this come around to have you on the podcast. So uh, thanks, James. I appreciate it. We'll link to all those, the website and Instagram in the show notes and uh, go and check out the documentary. Thanks, James. Awesome, man. Cheers, mate. Thanks for listening to the Effortless Swimming Podcast. If you'd like us to help you become a faster, more efficient swimmer, go to www.effortlessswimming.com.